This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. song says, love is all you need. But a new study by Wharton's Nancy Rothbard finds that maybe love isn't all you need in the workplace. Nancy, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Rachel. Now, your study focused on an interesting environment. It was firehouses and firemen. Could you talk to us a little bit about how you picked why firemen and what you were looking at, what you were trying to find? Sure. So uh, this is a study that's co-authored with Mandy O'Neill, who's at George Mason University. And what Mandy and I did was we really wanted to go in and understand how the culture, the emotional culture of an organization could affect how people both interact in the in the workplace, but also what the effects of them on them physiologically might be. And so we were really interested in looking at emotional culture, and in particular, culture of love, which you've already talked about, uh, as well as another particular type of culture that often emerges in organizations, especially masculine organizations, which is called culture of joviality. And culture of joviality is sort of the fun, the joking, the pranks, kind of a macho, you know, backslapping, uh, teasing type of a culture. Uh, culture of companionate love is really one where there's a sense of compassion, caring, affection for one another. And what was really interesting about looking at this question in the context of firefighters is that this is a really extreme setting to think about the question of love. You know, a lot of uh, the past, there's a little bit of past research that's looked at culture of companionate love, and that's looked at mostly healthcare settings and and other kinds of uh, organizational settings where it might be more expected. Whereas we really wanted to look at an extreme case to see, does love matter and is love evident in these masculine organizations? And now what you found was is that love does matter, but some other things matter too. So tell us a little bit about some of the work that you did, which was very, I mean, it involved a lot of actually going into firehouses, talking to these people, and tell us a little bit about what you found. Sure. So this study, um, this actually paper comprises two studies. The first study was a qualitative study where we did interviews with a bunch of firefighters at uh, 27 different uh, groups of firefighters, uh, 27 different uh, shifts and stations. And so what we looked at with those groups uh, is we just sort of went in and we wanted to know really the questions about culture, but also what made their jobs tough or what were, what, was the, what were the challenges that they were facing in their jobs. And there were a couple of really interesting things that emerged from that stage of the research. One is that when we asked people, what's the toughest thing about your job? answer they gave us was actually really surprising. So this is these are groups of about 97% men. We, we actually interviewed 100 men in this first study, or 100 people in this first study, and 97 of them were men. There were three women in the entire group. And that's very uh, prototypical and, and, and uh, expected in, in this firefighting occupations. And so what, what we found was, we said, what's the, mo- what's the most challenging thing about your job? over half of them said work-family conflict, which was a huge surprise to us. We were not expecting that to be, you know, the, the answer. It makes a lot of sense 
in retrospect, because a lot of the, the the way they work, they're they're on these shifts and these these overnight shifts, and they their 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 jobs are really affected by the type of shift work that they do, um, and the type of work that they do is often very emotionally stressful. Uh, firefighters, interestingly, um, firefighters are not. Uh, th- most of their job is not fighting fires. Most of it is emergency response. Anytime 911 is called, the, there are firefighters who have to respond. And so they actually are at the scenes of all sorts of emergency calls and situations, some of them more stressful than others, uh, and some of them quite, quite stressful uh, indeed. And so what we found when we, when we were talking to them was that you know, some of the stresses that they experienced on the job, they, they really were concerned about those spilling over to the home. So one story that we that we that really sticks in my mind from from this first study was of one of the firefighters who described how he really wanted to really keep the the workplace separate from his home life. And so he actually kept a pair of flip-flops in the station where and he would wear those back and forth between his home and work because he didn't want his boots from that he wore on on scene to to even enter his house because he really felt like he didn't want it to contaminate the work to contaminate his home. And so he was really had a very extreme example of trying to keep these two apart. Um, you know, a lot of the other things that we that we talked about with the firefighters also had to do with the culture that they uh, you know of 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 their of their station and of the firehouse, and so one of the themes that emerged was this culture of joviality, which we expected. The you know the pranks, the humor, all of the kind of fun things that they do to keep themselves occupied and to relieve the stress. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second emotional theme that emerged around culture was this theme of companionate love, and another way to think about. Companionate love is brotherly love, right? So it's it's not romantic love. It's it's the kind of you know compassion, you know, giving each other a hug if you know something something tough has has come up, um, making sure that you're there for each other, that you know each other deeply, uh, and that you show that you care about one another. And sometimes that can be in like small acts, like washing the dishes, or making sure that you have somebody's favorite snack. Uh, you know that that you're that you're making in in the kitchen, and and so there's a lot of there's a lot of camaraderie and brotherly love that we also saw at some of these fire stations. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really interesting about this this study to me is we we looked at firefighters as an extreme case of masculine organizations, but this really can apply to lots of different organizations. It can apply to all sorts of settings where the norms are really masculine uh, in terms of the dominant expected behavior. We, we see all sorts of examples of, you know, that kind of camaraderie, the, the frat house culture, you know, on Wall Street, you know, just as we do, on, you know, in the firehouse or in, you know, police stations or in army kinds of settings where, which might be a little bit easier to see the connection with firefighters. But we see, we see these same types of behaviors in lots of different occupational settings. Mm-hmm. Now, the first part of the study focused on these interviews. So yeah. tell us a little more about the second part of the study and where you where you went from there. Sure. So in the first part, part of the study, as you said, we did these interviews. We, we, we had a couple of surprises that, that arose along the way. Um, one of the other pieces that 
uh, we saw there was that one of the ways that firefighters talked about coping with some of these stresses was through suppression, through kind of bottling it up and mm -hmm. keeping it all in or separating it, as I talked about before. But what the literature says about suppression is that that's actually often a very bad thing. Sure. Uh, and, and that can lead to all sorts of negative health outcomes and other problematic um, outcomes on things like risk-taking, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and the like. And so what, what we found was that when so, so, so we, we, we basically figured that what we wanted to do is think about, okay, how do all these things go together? And so we did a second study where we surveyed a lot more folks. So we had 27 uh, groups uh, in, in the first study. In the second study, we had 68 uh, fire, uh, you know, fire stations. And what we did was and about 600 people that we, that we surveyed. Um, and so... You know, a lot of folks that we surveyed, we also then surveyed their supervisors, so the, the battalion chief, the person who was in charge of the fire stations. What we asked the battalion chief was, what's the culture of the station, right? Do you see it being characterized by joviality, by these jokes, these pranks, the teasing, the amusement? Do you see it being characterized by compassion, by tenderness, by, by love? And so what we, what we found is, and, and, you know, they could have answered both. And in, in, indeed, in our, in, our, um, in our interviews, we found there were some stations that were characterized by both. There were some stations that were characterized by either just joviality alone, and there were others that were characterized by just love alone, and some that, you know, exhibited neither of those characteristics. So we did a survey of, you know, and, and, and we, we had about 600 respondents uh, that we surveyed, and we got about 324 uh, participants who responded to the survey. And what, what happened was that when people said that they felt like they experienced a lot of work-family conflict and they were also suppressing that conflict, it turns out that was kind of a bad thing, as mm -hmm. the literature would suggest. And in fact, we found that those folks engaged in more risk-taking off the job. So they reported, you know, you know uh, more alcohol use, things like uh, doing high-risk types of occupations um, or high-risk types of hobbies, uh, et cetera. And, but when people were in cultures that were, the battalion chiefs had rated as being high in both joviality and companionate love, that risk-taking was reduced. And so there was something about being in a culture where you were able to both joke around but also get the, um, you know, the feelings of compassion and caring, of brotherly love from your fellow firefighters that really tempered each other and allow people to, I think, probably vent a little bit in the workplace so that they didn't have to let off that steam off of work. So they, it was making it easier for them not to take work home with them. Exactly. So this study looks a lot at these, looks very closely at these organizational cultures at firehouses. How can someone apply this at their office? I mean, I would think that sometimes it's very hard 
to know what your organizational culture is because you have to be you have to be pretty honest with yourself sometimes, especially if you're the manager and you might be the one who's modeling this. So how can someone take this research and maybe diagnose the culture in their organization and even try to improve it to apply some of what you found? So actually, there it. it it's fairly straightforward to diagnose your culture. First, first of all, you have to, though, be willing to look and be open to what you find. So first, when you think about emotional culture, there's, there's signs all around us. There's artifacts, there's, there's statements, there's stories that people use that, you can use that you can use to really diagnose that and understand it. With culture of joviality, the thing that you want to look for as a manager is is it going too far? Are the, is the teasing and the pranks, you know, it, it may be very fun, high energy, high octane, but is that going too far? And that's the thing you worry about with a culture of joviality, right? Is it, is it, is it crossing the line to bullying or harassment? And that's what you don't want as a manager. With culture of companionate love, actually, what you want to look for are things like are people caring about each other? Are they are they checking in when somebody's sick? Are they, you know, making sure that they know how things are going with a particular individual? And so as a manager, you can model that behavior. If your employee is out sick for a couple of days, you can send them a note or give them a phone call and say, hey, just thinking of you, how you doing? Is there anything I can do to help? You know, those kinds of things really help to model a culture of love where people feel like others are looking out for them, that they care about them, and that that they matter in that organization. And so, you know, I, I think it's actually it, – it, it's not as hard as it might seem to model those things and to, and to check to see whether you have a culture of joviality in addition to a culture of love. You just have to be, be willing to stand back. And kind of take a closer and, look at yes, it. Yes, you need to take a look and see. Now, this study seems to debunk a little bit some of the stereotypes that we may have about male-dominated workplaces in that you did find a culture of lots of companionate love or brotherhood that was going on. And I think sometimes we may stereotype that male-dominated workplaces are not like that, that it's something that you would find more with female-dominated workplaces. Do you feel like the study kind of t- puts that on its ear a little bit? or? Absolutely. One of the things that we found that was really fascinating in this setting is that when we looked at culture of love, you know, this was not something that we had necessarily gone in expecting to see. Culture of joviality, yes, but culture of love, no. And what was fascinating about it to us is that it really did appear very strongly in this setting. And when we think about masculine organizations, a lot of times we think these are organizations where it's not okay to express any emotion, much less love. And yet we saw all sorts of emotional expression going on, including love. Mm-hmm. And how do you plan on following up this research? Well, uh, my my co-author, Mandy, has a study where she's looking at culture of uh, different emotional cultures in a hospital setting. And, and I think it's going to be really fascinating. For me, one of the things that was really interesting about this is this piece where work-family conflict just sort of seemed to emerge almost out of nowhere in these masculine organizations. And that's something that really hasn't been looked at in the literature as much. When we talk about work-family conflict, we tend to think about that also being very much uh, in in, we think about women experiencing work-family conflict. But Focusing on men and the fact that men experience work-family conflict, too, just as powerfully 
is a really important finding that we saw here that I really want to explore further in future research. Nancy, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Rachel. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.